Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. It is just good to gather and worship. Thanks for coming. Thanks for braving the little bit of snow on the ground. It's just good to uh, sing our hearts out and to praise God. And I, I love that we get the the full story in that last song. I, I don't know about you, but I love that. So, uh, today, I want to cuddle up to a concept. Is that not cute? My dog is in the office, by the way. Hi, Sadie. Wreaking havoc on Gretchen right now. I want to cuddle up to a concept that you typically don't want to cuddle up to. You typically don't think of cuddling up to the concept of repentance, do you? I remember, I remember one time I was in England and I stood in a church where uh, George Whitfield preached and I put my finger out and said, repent. And somebody took a picture of me, you know, and because it, it, it repentance doesn't feel like a cuddly concept. Does it? it doesn't feel warm. It doesn't feel uh, friendly. And, and yet Luther on his 95 theses, when he nailed it to the door, he said, when our master Jesus Christ said, repent. He intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. Isn't that interesting? Like the whole, like your whole life, every day, if you're an older Christian, that means you should be a better repenter than the new Christians. Are you? Just, just asking. Isn't it interesting? Repentance. So I just want to talk a little bit about the concept of repentance. And I want to do it uh, with this passage and some other stuff thrown in there. This is the story of the prodigal sons, actually. Sons. But um, it, it, we always call it the prodigal son. And I'm just going to focus on the turning of the one son and Jesus, in Luke 15, said this. He said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property to them, which is crazy. My dad's here tonight. Dad, uh, give me your inheritance, my inheritance now, right? I mean, what would I really be saying to him? I wish you were dead. I'd have your money. I mean, this is an utter slap in the face by this son. And the crazy thing is, his dad does it. He gives him his share. It's the younger brother, so it's not as big as the older brother's share. But he gives him his share of his inheritance. And if you know the story, what does he do? But, uh, but he squandered, look at the picture, he squandered his inheritance on ravenous living. And then the Bible says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have had enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. If you know the story, you know that a famine hit the land. He spent all his money. Things were difficult. And he ended up as a Jewish guy feeding pigs. They don't even eat pork. And it says, I, I, I am perishing with hunger. Like he wanted to eat the pig food. He says, I'll arise. I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Now, many would say this is repentance, right? This is where it's set in. I would say I'm not sure. Oh, who's on the screen, Billy? 
That's five bucks, man. The joke is I used to pay my kids five bucks if I used them as a sermon illustration. So Billy wants in on that, my son. So, um, so repentance has a couple parts. Contrition. I was going to go fear and explain it that way because they're all F's, but I'm going to stick with contrition, which is like the deeper knowledge of sin, faith, and then there's fruit after, after faith. Contrition, faith, and fruit. And when I think of contrition, I've heard Billy's testimony, I don't know how many times, but Billy tells this story of bringing the groceries in. Come on, am I right, Billy? And the Spirit of God came upon him. And this is as you were coming to know Christ, and you just wept, didn't you? Yeah, like right there, bringing the groceries in. This contrition just like hit him. Big time. Um, You know, many times I think in our world, we see repentance as something that we operate, that we do, right? But when was the last time you saw contrition as a gift? I mean, Billy, it came to you as a gift. You didn't plan on it, right? You're doing the groceries. You're bringing the, putting the groceries away. It just kind of hits you. And if you look at the Bible, repentance, look at this. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant. You know how sometimes the word grant is translated? Gift. God may gift them repentance. Isn't that right? And not just there. Look, Acts eleven eighteen, And when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, Then the Gentiles also God has gifted, God has granted. They didn't, like, they didn't manufacture this. God gifted them the gift of repentance. And what did Jesus say in John? And when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness. The Holy Spirit gifts us. When was the last time you thought of repentance and you're like, yeah, But my repentance came as a gift from God. You can cuddle up to that concept, can't you? That God gifts us repentance. When was the last time you said, Lord, please pour out more contrition into my heart? That I could could turn more towards you. That I could feel more towards you. And and I, I need to make a distinction. Everybody, almost everybody, except sociopaths, will admit they do wrong, right? To err is human, boys will be boys, nobody's perfect, we all make mistakes, we all fail, right? So is this a gift from God to know that you've done wrong? Mm, Maybe a teeny bit, but you know what the gift of God is? It's when you know who you have sinned against. You've sinned against God. You have that crazy line when David, his sin of what? Adultery, his sin of murdering Bathsheba's husband, you know, is exposed. And you have this wonderful psalm where David says, against you and you only have I sinned. And you're like, Dave, uh, you, you, you committed adultery and you murdered a guy. And he's like, you and you only. Because the gift of contrition is when we realize our first sin and our ultimate sin was against God. I mean, this is is really important. 
Because many times we can be sorrowful for our sin and we're only sorrowful because we're, we're, we're not thinking about sinning against God. We're thinking about being caught, maybe. I know one time I, I was on a retreat and I just wept for like hours. But what I was weeping about when I look back on it was I couldn't be as good as I wanted to be. And I would try my hardest to be good and perfect and always failing and I'm weeping. But what I really wanted was to prove to the world that I am somebody by my goodness. The Lord's like, no, I'm not going to have any of that. And you can cry your eyes out, but you're not weeping with true contrition. True contrition is, Lord, my sin is against you. And you only, that's what comes as a gift. Because until you, until you hear that, you're not ready for the gospel, right? You're like, oh, I just hurt Billy's feelings. I need Billy's forgiveness, right? No, until you know how deeply you've sinned, you're not ready for the gospel. Uh, one old Puritan said this, bring thy sin to the gospel, not for relief yet, but for farther conviction of its guilt. Say to thy soul, what have I done? What love, what mercy, what blood, what grace have I despised and trampled on? Is this the return I make to the Father for his love, to the Son for his blood, to the Holy Ghost for his grace? Is this how I respond to God's gift of grace? Do you see how he's focusing on God? He would say, when you, when you do this every day, when you realize your sinfulness... And then you move to the grace and the gospel of God in faith. There's something beautiful that happens in your heart. You know how deeply you're loved. Right? There's a, there's a fruit that's produced as you know how deep your sin is. And do you notice how relational this is? See, when, when we're just like, oh, I messed up, it, it, it's not connected to God. But when you say to your soul, Lord, this is what I did for you, all of a sudden this beautiful relationship with the living God, the, the Father who gave His Son, the Son who shed His blood, the, the Spirit who brings conviction, like we're, you're in communion with Him. Now Tim Keller said this, you can't do it without the gospel. He said we must be clear that the person must be a Christian before he does this work, before he really looks deeply at his sin. Why? Because it's not for the unregenerate. The foundational understanding of the gospel and of righteousness by faith is absolutely necessary. Without an understanding of one's standing in Christ, the person cannot fully repent or accept the full dimension of his sin. It's too devastating for him. His conscience must be framed and supported by the gospel or it can't stand deep repentance. Do you know what he's saying there? Unless you have an understanding of the gospel, you're always going to be looking for a way out. You'll be going, well, but I, you know, my motives were right, right? You know, like you always be, it's only when you truly get an understanding of the gospel, can you fully get a picture and hold on to how sinful you really are. And that's why we move from contrition, like feeling bad, having that knowledge that my sin offended God and God alone, which comes as a gift, and then we move to faith. We, we move to saying, God, I sin, but here you are. And you're a forgiving and you're a loving, and Jesus, you came for sinners like me. And this is what happened. The, the prodigal son, he arose, 
He came to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his, he saw, I'm sorry, his father saw him, felt compassion on him, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Dad, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, here's the question. Do you remember what he said before that? He said, Dad, I'm going to go to my father, and here's his script. I've sinned against heaven and before you, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Therefore, what? Make me one of your hired servants. Do you notice? No quid pro quo. He's not bartering with his dad anymore. He's found grace. He's not going to try to work his way into his dad's good graces, pay him back. He's experienced the love. I think this is where faith set in. I think this is where true repentance set in. I think it began. I think God brought the difficulty into his life and the contrition began there. But true repentance happened here in the face of the grace and love of his dad. And his dad didn't stop with hugging him. Look what he did. Bring the, be the best robe. Put it on him. Right? It's like the coat of many colors. He, he says, put a ring on his hand. He gives him jewelry. Put shoes on his feet. So this guy was almost naked in returning, wasn't he? And, and he says, kill the fatted calf. and Let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and he's alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. I mean, that is grace. You know, many times we get a little confused. We're like, well, what is grace? And how does it compare to justice and mercy? Well, justice is when you get what you deserve. And mercy is when you don't get what you deserve, right? It's like I punch Billy in the face and he punches me back. Justice, right? Mercy, I punch Billy in the face. Well, let's have Billy punch me. It feels better to say it. Billy punches me in the face. I get to be the nice one. And then I don't hit him back, right? Mercy, right? And grace is Billy punches me in the face and I give him a hundred bucks and throw him a party, right? <clears throat> He's like, what? I mean, that's what Jesus did for us. He, 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 this is what the prodigal son did. This is, this is what we relish in, in repentance, now, now, at confirmation and membership class and at times, I talk about the difference between the law and the gospel. And the law is where, how we see our sin. Like, when Billy was weeping, he felt the weight of the law. He's like, I am a sinner. And I sinned against God. And that law, it just brings conviction. It brings contrition in our hearts. And we, we feel it deeply. And the law shows us our sin, and then we then we need to hear that voice. Because if you just stand to the law, you just you just despair. I mean, it may coerce you to make some change, but it's not permanent change. And we need to move into the gospel, which shows us our Savior. But I bring this up now because I think as Lent moves in, we need to have an understanding of, of how the devil works in our lives. See, when Luther said if somebody, uh, somebody should have a doctorate of theology if he actually knew when to preach the law to somebody and when to preach the gospel, right? You remember when the rich guy came to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He says, keep all the laws. And he, he says, how do you read it? And Jesus, the guy lists the laws or Jesus lists the laws. And, and the man goes, I've kept all those from my youth. And Jesus goes, I got one more thing. Sell everything and follow me. 
The guy walks away. I can't do it. This guy was trying to justify himself in Jesus' eyes. And Jesus is like, you think you're jumping over the high jump bar? Let me just raise that up. Had he dropped to his knees and said, have mercy on me, Lord, a sinner, it would have been a different story, right? You know, Jesus preached the law to him. And then Paul, when he was in prison, and the Lord just, you know, breaks the chains, opens the gates, and the guy's about to fall on his sword because he's like, I'm going to get killed tomorrow. And Paul cries out, wait a minute, none of us have left, we're still here. And the guy looks at Paul and says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, sell everything. No, he didn't say it, did he? No, because this guy, he, he's so broken, he didn't need the law. He needed the gospel. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Luther's like, hey, when you know when to preach the law and the gospel to somebody, you should have a doctorate of theology. Somebody who knows how sinful they are, somebody who's full of contrition, they, they hear the gospel. Somebody who isn't, they hear the law. But here's what Satan does. Here we are. We're living our life and we're tempted to sin and Satan preaches the gospel to us. In our temptation, he's like, you know, repentance is easy. I mean, you just need to feel sorry for it and tell him you're sorry and everything's, oh, you know, it, God is this loving, forgiving. And, and Satan, he preaches the gospel to us when we're tempted, right? And then after we sin, he preaches the law to us. And he says, oh, repentance is too hard. You call yourself a Christian? You're way too far gone. For that. I mean, do, do you see what he does? He doesn't preach law and gospel to the right time. Well, the right for him, but not for us. right? And so as you move into Lent and you start thinking about repenting, remember this, that the evil one is going to say, hey, you can do that. You know, it's a good deal. God loves forgiving. You love sinning. And repentance is easy. And then after you've blown it, because I assure you in the next 40 days you will, he'll just tell you how difficult it is and how God doesn't love you and how, how could you even call yourself a believer. You know, repentance has two parts, faith and contrition, but on the other side of it is fruit. On the other side of repentance is fruit because uh, we have a, a scripture coming up in a bit where John the Baptist is preaching and he says, hey, <clears throat> produce fruit in keeping with repentance. What? Yeah. So many times in our world, a lot of times we define repentance only as fruit. You've turned around, you're going, you've changed. But God would say fruit is a byproduct of contrition and faith. And they're all gifts from God. Faith comes as a gift. Contrition comes as a gift. And the fruit is a byproduct. Christian believers who are daily repenting should have others picking the fruit off their lives and getting life from it. You know, Billy walks by, grab a piece of fruit, right? Like they, other people should be able to pick the fruit from your life. The love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And to bear this fruit, in a real sense, we, we repent, we go, we die to our sinful nature, and we come up new. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about one of the best gifts Gretchen ever got me. Some years ago, I was really into this parable of the prodigal son. I was reading all this stuff on it. And Christianity Today did a whole article focusing on the prodigal son. And I was reading it, and I loved it. I can't remember if it was my birthday or Christmas. Gretchen 
contacts Christianity today, finds out the artist who did the picture for the cover, gets in touch with her, and buys the print, has it framed, and gives it to me. That's a picture of a picture at my house of the cover of Christianity Today. And you've got in this picture this guy who is like a seed. He's like the prodigal son dying and rising, right? It's this really cool uh, treatment, this really cool uh, picture. And this is part of what our lives are like with repentance. When Jesus said, I'm sorry, when John preaching said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, one of the beautiful things is, as I die to my selfishness, I, I, I in a sense, go into the ground and, and come up new. And other people can eat the fruit of, of, of my repentance. And sometimes when we're facing temptation and we don't want to repent and it's hard to forgive, we forget that, that we, we, in a sense, die and rise and we, we, we become fruitful through repentance. It's God's way of doing things in this world. And why is it God's way? Because this was Jesus' way. He's like, you plant me in that tomb. You plant me. And I will rise. And I will be the first fruits. And, and, and you and I, we look at that and we're like, yes, if it's true for Jesus, it's true in a small way for each of us. And in a big way. I've done a lot of funerals. And, and the reality is, and I said this early on in our worship, all of us are going to be planted, aren't we? At one time or another, unless the Lord returns. And at many of the funerals, I'll stand there and I'll read from this little book and i'll read these words now we commit the body of our brother or sister to the ground earth to earth ashes to ashes dust to dust in a sure and certain hope of the resurrection of eternal life through our lord jesus christ who will change our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body by the power that enabled him to subdue all things to himself and there's these words are beautiful and it's true and there's this real sense that as you and I daily repent and as Jesus Christ went into the grave and came up and as we go into the grave, we come up, like we're all a part of this beautiful dying, rising and, and bearing fruit. So when, I, when you come up and, and you get ashes on your head, if that's uh, what you're going to do or you choose to do it, um, just know that you've been crucified with Christ. And therefore, you no longer live, but Christ lives within you. And the life you now live, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave his life for you. And as, as you come up, just remember, Lord, dead to self, alive in you. Lord, if anyone be in Christ, they're a new creature. The old is gone. The new has come. I'd like just to take a minute, and we're just going to maybe close your eyes. And if there's something on your heart, if there's something that you're contrite about, this is such a good time to say, Lord, here it is. I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry for being so narcissistic. I'm sorry for being so um, everything's about me. Or maybe I'm sorry for disobeying my parents. 
or Lord, I'm having a hard time forgiving. And you forgave me all my sin. Help me to forgive. My sin put you on the cross. Help me to forgive. And if I could say that upon your sincere confession, that I just want to announce to you that your sins are forgiven. In the name Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.